Welcome to the Animal Control Report with your hosts, Ashley Bishop and Daniel Ettinger. Did you know? Yes, probably. That we tried to do this one before. Most people won't know our, our headsets, my headset. I was going to say, don't say our. Now I have, look at this thing. I got it. I'm like on a game or something. Anyway, check out our website, keepithumane.com. <laughs> check out our YouTube page. You can just type in the Animal Control Report or Keep It Humane and find this stuff on YouTube now. We're trying to like be, you know, up with the times. Everybody has their podcast on YouTube, right? Is that a thing? That's... Uh, something like that, yeah. Yeah, so let's get with the times. Also, check out our social media. What is our social media, Bishop? The Animal Control Report <laughs> on Facebook and did Instagram, you... I think. So I did you... I don't do Instagram. Did you come with an empty belly today? No, but from what I hear, I should have. Yeah, because we're going to talk a lot about food. I'm excited to to learn more and, and talk a little bit about this. So I think we'll just jump right in. Um, actually, before we do that, no, let's not jump right in. Have you ever been on a case where someone was feeding like, and we're not here to bash these companies, but like all, <laughs> Damn, po, where? Pri- <laughs> all, all po Prime Cuts or Bill Old Jack? Roy. Old Roy, well, Old Roy, that's a staple in middle America, right? Mm. Or Sprout. Yeah, all of the above. And so just, you know, talking about what we put into our food or what food we put into our dog could really lead to health issues, right? Like well, them progressing properly, etc. So my dog has allergies to chicken. Okay. And probably some other foods. I just haven't, we have them to a content stage. So I don't want to cut out everything because that could be a nightmare too. Yeah. And, and I think like, as we talk to our next guest today, we're going to learn more and more about it. I think it's something that I really preach is looking at what the ingredients are. Mm-hmm. When the third ingredient on the list is wheat middlings, you're probably not feeding a quality dog food. Right. So yeah. let's introduce Dr. Marty Goldstein. How are you doing today? I'm fine. I am definitely fine. <laughs> it's all Doc- fine. Everything's fine. So, when I when I say Doctor Marty, are you still pra- are you still a practicing veterinarian? No, I finally it, it kind of became an albatross for me because I knew that what I knew going way back to the seventies was so vital for the health state of millions. I'm talking about millions of registered dogs and cats in the United States. Okay, and you know I started to turn around all these terminally ill animals from all over the United States. And then I became trapped in clinical practice where, you know, we were seeing these terminally ill animals, my associates and me after 30, 40, $50,000 worth of conventional therapy, and then getting them better and documenting. And as the reputation kept on spreading and spreading, I became more and more trapped so I could get to maybe five or six animals a day working 15 hours a day. So I had to finally get out of practice. Uh, I don't know if you know about this. There was a documentary made on our facility and my life's work called The Dog Doc. And the lady, a good friend of mine who did it, her last documentary made the shortlist for the Academy Awards. So she did this documentary on me and it shows my facility and my entire progression out of it. It's available for free on on Pluto. It was actually winning awards all over the United States until good old COVID hit. 
So the the long answer is no, I'm not clinically practicing, but I am, you know, reaching, uh, educating at the level of the vet schools right now and veterinarians across the country. That's awesome. I'm just looking up the movie I can, here. Though. I can see, I can see you work over there. <laughs> you'll, you'll absolutely love the movie. It's just rave reviews at the highest level of Hollywood and society until right. unfortunately COVID hit. Hey, there you go. That's what it's what, about. Doc, what the hell is he doing? You got any <laughs> clinical information on that over there? He is having a good time. It's, He's know, taken after his owner. It's okay. oh, it's nice goodness. to be able to do that, huh? <laughs> Doc, I did a little research on you. You've been on Oprah. You've you've worked with a bunch of celebrities. But what's a memorable moment? Like, what's that moment in your career where you knew that this this food thing needed to to really be the importance? I would say you'll see one case uh, on the documentary that was a Rottweiler that was carried in on a stretcher that weighed fifty four pounds was given less than 24 hours to live by the referring veterinarian who was the president of our county veterinary medical establishment. This is after I was condemned by my profession. I literally went into hiding. And this this dog was just skin and bones, laying, couldn't even stand up. And then just by changing the diet, stopping the myriad of, of drugs that this dog was on and just changing the diet and putting the dog on a couple of supplements and remedies. Three months later, and you'll see the picture in the documentary, the dog was 126 pounds. In this three months. Massive Rottweiler just glowing with health. And that was one of the, the, the big turning points that, you know, I saw so many cases before that, but this was just startling. Um, I mean, it was, as I said, I, I was literally condemned, ridiculed, criticized, threats to my license in the late 70s for treating dogs like arthritic dogs with glucosamine instead of using drugs. You know, now they sell a half a billion dollars a year of glucosamine in veterinary medicine. Yeah. Uh and one of the big turning points was 2007, where I scored both Martha Stewart and Oprah Winfrey in the same year. And it was not because my personality or looks. It's because this stuff works. And Martha gave me my own show for six years on Sirius called Ask Martha's Vet. Oh, wow. And then, you know, wow. three months later, I scored Oprah. She flew her dog, Sophie, in and uh, turned that dog around in three days on intravenous vitamin C. And she had me on her show. So that was a big turning point for me. Did where... you get a prize when you were on Oprah's show? Like, was there something <laughs> under your seat? And you get a prize. Uh, I did get a really incredible winter coat, shirts, hat, and mug. <laughs> you got a prize. Thanks, Oprah. Appreciate you. Yeah, it was a trip. So, and that was it. You know, it, it's just, you know, I was on Good Morning America a few times and, and it was not about the celebrity status or the, you know, the bragging rights or anything. It's just, I love animals so much. <clears throat> and, you know, the big wake up call that we need is when I graduated Cornell Vet School in 1973, I just had my 50 year Cornell reunion. Wow. There was about 
one in 10 dogs got cancer and it was always a disease of the old. So we were taught if we saw a young dog with a lump, we eliminated the possibility of cancer based solely on age. Okay. Uh, in my more recent book, The Spirit of Animal Healing, I quote a study done recently where it's now one out of maybe 1.61 dogs in the United States get cancer. And it's a prominent disease in the young too. So something is wrong. This is not just bad luck. There is no health care literally taught in our veterinary schools. It's a disease, a diagnosed disease, drug establishment. And I've witnessed that happen over my career where I've witnessed at least a tripling of the incidence of cancer, not to mention all these other chronic degenerative illnesses. And I know why it's happening. And it's just, uh, it was so frustrating to know the truth. At one time I was number two in my class at Cornell Vet School. So I know medicine really well. There's just no health care. And you said it before, you know, if you look at, at the ingredient list, my wake up call was I had my own genetically based illnesses in the 70s mm. running on my mother's side of the family. All the males in that side of my family had all the conditions I had, and they are all dead at least eight to 30 years already. And I wow. had the same conditions. <clears throat> so when I searched for my own health that medicine definitely didn't offer me, and it turned around, started to apply the same tenets to our own family companion animals and then some of my clients, dogs and cats. And lo and behold, the, the results were astounding by putting them on real food. So if you look at the label of food, you know, the second time Arthur had me on a TV show, the producers allowed me to put up the formula of a food that sponsored her show without the name, of course. And the first ingredient was corn. And they allowed me to turn to Martha and say, Hey, Martha, have you ever seen a dog stalk an ear of corn? <laughs> well, when I, when I teach yeah. body condition scoring and, and talk about nutrition, I ask people who bakes, do you bake? <laughs> right. And when people say yes, because most people bake, I ask them, what is the first ingredient you typically put in? flour right yeah so the first ingredient you see is usually the majority of what the the product is going to be so if you have corn as your main ingredient you're gonna the dog's gonna be eating corn sure there may be some chicken or bone meal or something else in there to provide some protein but it's not a good source of, of food bishop from your from your perspective as a vet tech how much of the nutrition is taught to you guys we have an entire i mean i did quarters so i had an entire quarter of it Okay. okay. You know what my my nutrition at Cornell was? What's that? Arithmetics. Hmm. The percent of this, the percent of total protein, total solids, fats, and this and that. Never anything about quality. Now, one educational thing for the audience that is vital to know. There are two pseudo scams when it comes to the ingredient list under AFCO. So you said it before, the, you know, they, they list the number one ingredient first. After 2007, when Oprah had me on the show, we had the pet food recall debacle. 
And that changed the consciousness. And there was a big shift to start feeding more whole food and especially meat diets. So the two scams, you look, you buy a food, the first ingredient says chicken or it's some kind of meat, even meat byproduct. And you go, oh great, the food is, is mostly meat. The second ingredient is corn. The third ingredient is rice. The fifth ingredient is oatmeal. The sixth Millers. ingredient is millet. You add up all the grains, and we sure know grains are less expensive than meat. All of a sudden, you add all the grains in that food up, and you're dealing with 60, 65% grain-based food, but it looks like the number one ingredient is chicken. The other scam is called fractionation. They will take rice and break it into four or five different fractions. Brewer's rice, rice flour, whole white rice, rice middlings, and they'll add each fraction in a different part of the processing. So they get listed as different parts. Chicken number one, rice middlings number two, white rice number three, rice flour number five. Add up all the components of the rice and you got a food that's 55% rice, but it doesn't appear that way. So these manufacturers, they do this for profit when they know it's not really healthy. Show me one tooth in a dog or a cat's mouth flat for chewing or grinding cereal. And this is a shame. So <clears throat> can we go and talk then about the grain-free oh. issues? Because yes. <laughs> my understanding is, is that there's a lot of concerns with enlarged hearts and things like that coming from everybody wanting to go grain-free. Right. Can you talk about that? Yes. First of all, show me scientific evidence that your statement exists. There is none. It was okay. a report of a possible correlation by the FDA. And here's the scoop. And I wrote about it. I covered it really well two times in this. But, but the FDA doesn't even regulate dog food. Right. So well, the FDA has an organization called AFCO. Sure. That is the recommended, but they don't regulate or enforce AFCO's guidelines. Okay. So here's the scoop. First of all, show me one ingredient in corn or in cereal that's beneficial to the heart of a dog. You know, let's just step back. What what element in corn is healthy for a dog's heart? Nada. You know, a dog is a carnivore, omnivore, mostly carnivore. The cat is the obligate carnivore. So they need meat-based amino acids, especially taurine and L-carnitine. So here's the scoop. The grain-free diets, it's what they're using to substitute for the grain. You know, their pulses, lectins, pea, potatoes, and stuff like that. And the lectins concentration in there block the utilization or absorption of taurine across the intestinal wall. That's it. Also, the meats that are put in these grain-free diets is such poor quality, they don't even have proper levels of taurine. So now that the APCO recommends or enforces taurine to put back there, it's unfortunately put back a lot of times in poor quality or synthetic form. 
There is a study that shows that these grain substances contain mycotoxins, which damage the, the lining wall of the heart and muscle. Uh, my own research that I proved and wrote about in the book is that we sure know what's going on on this planet with uh, glyphosates, okay. you know, Roundup. How many lawsuits there are mm. in the human field? Sure. Do you know in studies by the Institute of Responsible Technology, they show that the glyphosate level in dog's urine is 30 times higher than human urine. And I looked at studies and glyphosate damages the muscle of the heart. So I'm personally thinking, you know, so many of the substitutes for the grains, they're, they're GMO. You know, it's going into the pet food industry. It's really, really, really inexpensive. And the more they bulk it up and make it GMO, the better. So how much is glyphosate damaging these the hearts of the dogs? And there's also a genetic link. So but the thing that really bothered me as this rolled out is not so much how many vets were putting dogs on these grain-based diets, but how many of my clients were taking dogs on really beautifully balanced, what we call biologically appropriate diets, and then all of a sudden cooking a whole pot of rice or corn and adding it in, thinking that their dog needs corn or rice for their heart. That's, I mean- Doc, I gotta, I gotta jump in with a question. <laughs> and I'm gonna just take you off the rails here. So I'm a person that only eats plants. When I, when I hear people that are at like vegan, vegan, and I, I don't, I don't know, to each their own. I, I like to eat plants. That's my thing. But then they're like, I'm going to, because, because I choose to be vegan. My dog has to be vegan. I'm not a fan of that. And I would love your input on kind of what that, what implications that may have health wise. Yeah. And are there, are there ever any reasons where you would want your dog to be a vegan dog? Or Great cat. question. So I wrote a book in 1999 called The Nature of Animal Healing with the cover story writer of Vanity Fair. Three months ago, Book Authority listed it as the number one best-selling veterinary medicine book of all time. Wait, pause. Better than <laughs> Dr. Stephen Ettinger's book? <laughs> Hello. I don't know. I think it's crazy, but <laughs> Go ahead. you can look at the list. That's just my guy. I don't know Dr. Steven Ettinger, but since we share the same last name, I got to. You know, he failed physiology, I think, in vet school, oh. is what I understand. So <laughs> I wrote about the vegans in here. The original troop of vegans, when it first hit, brought their dog to me, and the dog's name was Vegan. <laughs> and this dog was on an all vegan diet and was not only trying to kill me, but just loaded with cancer and stuff like that. Uh, and as I try to get these vegans to wake up and say, this dog needs meat. So I wrote about that story in here. I agree with you 100%. I have seen or witnessed dogs and even cats live long, healthy lives on a vegan-based or plant-based diet, but it's more rare. And I've seen blithering disasters trying to make carnivores vegan. 
I agree with you. I am all, there is a whole new wave of making proteins out of, you know, insects, crickets, yeah. uh, fermented koji. When I actually can see the documentation of dogs and cats living long, sustainable lives on this, I'm all for it because we know the meat industry is devastating to the planet Earth. But mm. right now, dogs, cats, carnivores, period. Speaking to the devastation of the meat industry, what types of meats do you use within your food and like kind of what are your sources? Oh, wait, that? wait. I can answer that. Go, go, go. <laughs> so, Doc, have you ever heard of dogfoodadvisor.com? Yes. Well, they have your, your food listed as a five star. So five star is the highest in this blend. And then obviously he can tell us more. But I was looking at this and I was fascinated, but I also had some questions. In this blend, you have turkey. Here's the first six or seven ingredients. Turkey, beef, salmon, duck, beef liver, turkey liver, turkey heart, then flaxseed. Why, I guess my question to you, Doc, why do we have so many different sources of, of protein to, to, to start with this, uh, with this blend? You're asking the right questions. You know, who, who, <laughs> who coached you? <laughs> so here's the scoop. <laughs> when we first formulated with this amazing company that I got hooked up with, and they put this formula together. Their formula, formulary guy is just a blithering genius. I just sat in a room with all of them and said, you're asking for problems. Don't do this. Because in our, when I was in practice, we were food allergy testing at least 50% of all our patients, dogs and cats. And they were allergic to so many of these meat proteins. So I said to them, you're going to put four different meat proteins in this food, you're just having me hung new stuff. And they, the scientist gave me his reasoning behind it, besides palatability, the different nutritional components of each meat that the other meat didn't have. And they said, let's roll this out. If we have problems, we'll change it. So I bit my tongue, I sat back, and I let it roll out. And all of a sudden, the letters that were coming in on how these animals raved over this food, they were anorectic, the only food they would eat. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, fast forward, three years, four years later, they have a customer service team of 250 people. We were getting almost zero complaints about food allergy or sensitivities. So I was getting asked this question, and my only rationale was that our food is really high quality, and they're actually not reacting to the poor quality meats. Lo and behold, stumble upon it, just so happened to have it right here. Two years ago, <clears throat> studies on advanced glycation end products, or AGEs, look it up online. And it's that AGEs are responsible 
for the inflammatory allergy reactions in the body. What causes AGEs to form in the food? Heating. So I personally feel that a lot of the, like you said, the chicken allergy before, mm-hmm. it may not be, you know, I'm sure the chicken in that food is not whole chicken for human consumption. What, what's probably going on is a low-grade chicken protein, but this food is just loaded from the processing with AGEs that are causing the inflammatory reaction. We are in the process of creating single novel protein foods, but to date, and we do have a food called Sensitivity Select, which is the least, the less allergenic proteins, but we're not getting complaints about food allergy with that. But also, great question. Great question. You know, we're doing a lot of talking about your food, but I don't think we have even mentioned the name of the brand. <laughs> I'm called, Bishop. <laughs> so. yeah, the biggest joy for me, because my life is so happy right now. I have a beautiful family. You know, I'm, I haven't been sick in 35, 40 years, except maybe three days of covid is how many testimonials I am getting by the thousands coming in on how not only well animals' lives have turned around, but how rapid they have turned around. So, you know, like I said before, when I was working 15 hours a day and reaching six or seven animals' lives and people's brains educationally, now reaching tens and tens of thousands constantly with food and nutritional supplements that is really making a difference. So I just, I'm ecstatic living. That's a really long name for a pet food. (laughs) (laughs) So you can go, those of you that are listening, uh, you can go to Dr. Marty's Pets, drmartypets.com. Drmartypets.com. You know why we couldn't use Dr. Marty's? Dr. Marty Pets, we'll, we'll get to that because I got to name this food. Nature's Blend. There right. it is. Why do you not use Dr. Marty's? Because when we went to get the patent, there was a Dr. Marty veterinarian in Albuquerque that yeah. made a Dr. Marty's favorite food. And he only oh, interesting. Dr. Marty's. So it had to be Dr. Marty. <clears throat> All right. So I have another question that is, it's out there a little bit. I don't even know why I thought of this, but based on all of those reviews that you're getting, have you had any of them talk about minor, obviously they'd be very minor. I would think behavior changes. Oh yes. (laughs) In a positive way. And a lot of it has to do, you know, There is so much final scientific evidence on the importance and function of the microbiome. And not only is considered the hub of the health of the body, but looking at it more globally, you know, societies, world wars and stuff like this, because a disturbed microbiome where you're not getting your serotonin produced, the happy hormone, which most of the serotonin comes from the intestine. The immune system's functionality comes from the intestine. So our food is so biologically appropriate 
that it's supporting microbiome function. And, you know, there's one supplement we created called ProPower Plus, which is probiotics, prebiotics, and digestive enzymes. We're actually getting reports on these testimonials in the droves on behavioral changes. She's so happy. She's playing with her toy for the first time in two years after five days of being on your food. You know, when these reports started to come in, it just blew me away because I knew I had to develop this based on my 47 years working clinically with animals, with my associates, maybe up to a quarter of a million patients in my career. So I knew I had to do this. But when I actually laid it out there and it was like, whoa, it really works. It was like, whoa, at this level. You know, when we did it, when we were treating hands-on with our experience, animals in our practice, and they turned around like Oprah's dog in three days. Yeah, great. But to do this just by, I'm getting calls or emails to my old practice from veterinarians who had non-responsive cases where the people went online, bought the food and or the supplements, and the animals turned around. The veterinarians are reaching out to me. Can you teach me? Can I buy this for my, my clinic? It's just, you know, I just can't be happier. All right, I got to change gears here. Okay. Because this is what our listeners want to know. At least. Oh, boy. I know. <laughs> so our show, you know, uh, we, we hope everyone listens, not just people in the animal welfare, animal control fields. Uh, we, we definitely hope that there are people that just, you know, have general interest in, in this profession. But the question I really have is, so where did, where did you spend the majority of your time practicing? Where? Yeah, what state? Uh, New York, about an hour north of New York City. Okay. And I'm guessing, just based on these conversations, that it was a pretty high socioeconomic community. Uh, we did a survey maybe about a decade ago of my clients. Okay. Not my associates, but my clients. And over a six-week period, my average client was 590 miles away from our clinic. What? Yes, because I was the only one doing this going oh. way back and started. To so so you, I'm guessing you didn't see animal cruelty or animal neglect much. That wasn't your, no, no. probably your industry, right? Right. No. I mean, we, you know, it, it, you come across it here and there, especially with my associates, we almost never said no to any animal that came in. We we found a way to make it work financially. And then we just love animals. Yeah. yeah. I mean, here's my teacup. Who rescued who? <laughs> so the aspect of like your legacy and what you've done for the, the pet industry in this in this country, uh, are there any programs? Are there are do you give back to the animals in the community? Are, so my issue that we have with veterinary medicine in the United States and probably way beyond that is we have a, we have vet deserts, right? So a lot of underserved underprivileged communities do not have access to a, a, a veterinarian close or B affordable vet care. Is that something that you've looked into or worked on at all, or even thought about? Well, our company chose uh, one place to donate money to, and it's the American uh, service dogs. And we've okay. donated since we started this, 
I think it's almost eight hundred thousand dollars from our proceeds. That's good. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. And what I'd love to see is a couple things in this country. Uh, we have a lot of organizations that that fundraise and get a lot of big money. Uh, we need more scholarships for veterinarians. We need to encourage our youth of today to get into that line of work because it's it's hard. I would imagine it's hard having our own practice. And then in addition to that, we need affordable care. But on top of that, going a step further, talk to me about your experiences with vet, excuse me, with pet health insurance. Oh, it was something that always failed until maybe eight years ago, you know, as I was starting to wean out of practice and it's become a very successful thing. You know, you look at human medicine, you can have any test on or anything because it's all subsidized by the insurance, covered by the insurance. Mm-hmm. We didn't have that in veterinary medicine. And now we do. I've seen some cases come to our clinic where the people have spent like $60,000 and like 54000 of it was covered by insurance. Blew us away. So it's something I like, you know. I always wanted to take my work when I was struggling to get it accepted to the insurance companies, because if you have something that keeps or makes patients healthy, it's going to save the insurance company a real lot of money. (laughs) Mm. So that's, you know, I I always thought, and, and now the insurance companies are really successful in veterinary medicine. So it's a good thing. Great questions, man. Well, <laughs> well. From, from what I hear, though, it's so unregulated, right? Yeah. And there isn't a standard. Um, do, do you foresee that changing and hopefully not as convoluted as our health system is for humans in this country? But do you see that changing to be more, A, readily available? And we're going to have a, a, a guest later on, Deborah Turner. Uh, who who does uh, pet health insurance uh, later this year, but and I'm sure she'll have some great insight too. But like, could you foresee a could you foresee a clinic being able to be still profitable and you know able to to thrive if all they're collecting from their clients is a copay uh, for most part of it, and then the the rest well, being yeah, that that would be supplement. a toughie. The, the rest is then supplemented through health, health insurance. Because that's kind of how it works with doctor's offices. I mean, you have to pay for some procedures, but for the most part, they're collecting the copay and then they have to build the insurance, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's that, that's probably a long way off. You know, I, I have witnessed positive change over my 50 years, especially, you know, in, in alternatives. You know, obviously... Feeding whole foods is more expensive. Feeding supplements is more expensive than going and buying a bag off a shelf. And, you know, probably the most common question I've been asked over 45 years is, is, has to do with the finances of feeding, you know, real good food compared to just, you know, a bag and this and that. And what I, and I, I actually put, the answer in, in my recent book is I always quote 
Remember years ago, there was a commercial on TV for the Fram oil filter? And it was a mechanic standing next to a pole in the garage holding up like an $18 oil filter, a $12 oil filter. And he just looked in the camera and said, pay me now or pay me later. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you're going to spend, you know, an extra $800 a year feeding a higher quality, biologically appropriate food, and all of a sudden, remember, studies showing that greater than one out of two dogs right now in the United States are getting cancer. Do you know how expensive cancer therapy is? We're talking tens of thousands of dollars. So, yeah, pay an extra $800 a year on health-related uh, practices, and not only are saving financially, but look at your companion animal is leading a life that's really healthy, free of debility, you know, and amputations of their legs or half their jaws removed because of tumors. I was seeing five new cases of cancer a day before I left practice. And they were young. You'll see it in the documentary. Absolutely. I'll definitely be looking into that documentary. <laughs> no, you will. Get your popcorn ready, Bishop. <laughs> oh, and a box of tissues. But I guess we shouldn't do popcorn. Get your pork rinds. Vinny. No grain. <laughs> I, I got nothing for that one, Dan. <laughs> well, well, you know, we, we got a few minutes left, Doc, and I, I really... I appreciate it. I, I feel like, and this, this is actually, in my opinion, a great perspective having you come on your specialized background. But I think we, we live in two worlds. I really do. And Bishop, I'd love for you to chime in. Uh, our profession lives in the world of people that are underserved, underprivileged, not having access to vet care, being negligent, et cetera, et cetera. We try to preach that aspect I do all the education I can if I, if I was out on scene, you know, when I was on the road and I, I, I would see a dog a body condition score. So we use the Purina body condition system uh, to body condition score the level one through nine. I'm sure you're familiar yes, with that doc. Absolutely. So it's pretty, I would say it's pretty standard in our profession, right? Bishop, is that yeah. what they taught you in vet tech school? Yeah, I mean, we learned the Purina. I use, yeah. I kind of go between Purina and Tufts, just depending T- on Tufts, the case. It looks like some kid made it on a Sunday afternoon. Yes, it's so I, hard to read. <laughs> but I like, I, they have some great info in it. I just, it needs a rehaul, in my opinion. Anyway, so if a dog's like a level three, you're like, eh, all right, it doesn't necessarily need to go to the vet. What are you feeding it? Like, what kind of food you got? And then they, they here's the scoop. And we do this, we adopted a, uh, uh, a Greyhound racer when he was four years old, Redford. He was first and second place in every race he run. He was four years old. He was emaciated. His, I mean, he was so afraid that he just hid from us and hid from us. And we, and we still feed him, not just my food, but cook food. We'll go to Costco. And I've done this with thousands of clients. And you, and you go to Costco and you buy their chicken. You buy their, what, a pork or anything in bulk. You buy their froze, frozen mixed organic vegetables. You buy their 15-pound bag of brown rice. And you cook this up. And what you're doing is you're feeding them 
whole food and you're all the middleman expenses of canning, labeling, shipping is all cut out. And all of a sudden, you're feeding your companion animal real whole food, probably less expensive than buying pet food on the shelf. It's a win-win situation. Is it ideal? No. It's so back to, but back to that point of animal control out there with a, a oh, thin yeah. dog, doing that, doing that from the, I think from the start is educating and looking at the ingredients. If they say they feed Bill Jack or they feed what's like, there's a low quality Purina and Purina makes some good food too, Yeah, but you can pull it up. And Purina look at the, one isn't as good. No, I mean, low, low quality, like puppy chow or something. You oh, know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. So if you're able to take, and I'm talking to the officers here, if you're able to take five minutes, pull up on your phone, the ingredients and show them first ingredient is corn. Second ingredient is soybean. Third ingredient is whatever. And then finally they're getting into that. Maybe some of the proteins that we talked about earlier, that's the victory that we can have. And in, in having that conversation, look, you may pay $15 for that bag of food, pay 25 and your dog's going to be healthier, right? Even and if potentially they can, eating less of it. Correct. Because yeah, they're getting more value. More use, utilization uh, of the food. You know, the other thing too is so many of, especially the kibble food, you know, is created by the extrusion process. The extrusion process literally destroys most of the nutritive value of the ingredients. So even if the ingredients are really good ingredients, it gets destroyed. AFCO, to make AFCO claims on the bag, it has to have all the vitamins and minerals in there. So they're added back in. So you look at an ingredient list on food, it's that long. It's got thiamine mononitrate, you know, different sources of vitamin D, uh, you know, selenium sulfide and this and that. And most of those are added back in in synthetic form. And there's scientific studies that synthetic vitamins are not healthy for the body. They get recognized as, as chemicals, you know. Well, they're not, a, they're not as usable within the body. Right. So if, if all of a sudden you slow cook whole foods, they're going to retain so much more of the nutritive value. You won't have to feed as much. It'll be more utilized and it won't be more expensive because you're not paying for the processing they're doing. Do you see any way where we can make some of the higher quality foods? And I'm asking a lot here. <laughs> the higher quality foods, more cost effective. Yeah, we've been trying and trying. I mean, we, we rolled out our food. I mean, our food, like you said, it got a five-star rating, is one of the highest qualities on the market. And also, if you look at the label of my food, and there's a lot of really good freeze-dried raw foods on the market, you'll see no additive ingredients. Where mm -hmm. on all the others, you'll see selenium sulfide and stuff like that. So with my formulary genius guy, we formulated a food that makes AFCO requirements for all nutritional uh, ingredients using only food. But it is really, it's, it ain't cheap to make this food. I mean, we're using whole meats and this and that. The one so if you were if you were on Shark Tank right now and this was your pitch, uh, what is your cost per bag? Oh, because I have nothing to do with the company, I really don't know. 
I love I, that po- political answer. Good job, <laughs> sir. Way to nail that. But what I do know, I mean, I'm just on a royalty agreement with this company. What I oh, do got it. Know, okay, okay. What I do know, because I read, you know, we're putting out four, five, six emails, educational emails every single week, and they're all hooked to different sales. It is very common for our nature's blend to go on a 55% off sale. And our supplements, 48%. I mean, this company is amazing. One of the number one marketing companies in the United States. I thought I was selling my soul to the devil, becoming a snake oil salesman when I hooked up with them because I stayed as a professional clinical veterinarian for so long. It's one of the greatest things I ever did because they really get it. And they're in, the quality of their ingredients, because they're in the human, they have 25 lines in the human field, is so high that it's really making a difference in animal, animal health. And they're rolling it out for 40, 50, 60% off, which I love. Do you know off the top of your head how many cake? Well, never mind. I can do math. I'm doing math. <laughs> I'm having, wait, can no, you? this is great. This, we're doing live math because I just want to see cost, oh. cost efficiency of how, because you're quality food, you have a higher cacao per cup, right? Yes. So you're getting more calories per cup. So you kind of, that aspect of you feed less. So as I do that, Bishop, take it away. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, one question. I, I know we're talking about different additives and stuff. In your research, did you ever find anything as far as specifically to the dyes added to the foods and the uh, negative effects on animals? Oh, my word. When my, I chil- started, my children don't get red dyes. When and... I started to do this work and I, I turned my own health around, the only thing, <clears throat> my brother, veterinarian too, was number two in his one in class at the University of Pennsylvania. We were in practice together in the 70s, early 80s. And the only thing we fed our own animals, the only thing we bought for our to sell at our hospital, and we had a huge closet at our hospital loaded with this, was the semi-moist foods. Gainsburgers, top choice. And when I used to lecture once I woke up, I used to put the formula for Gainsburgers up there. And you'll see this, it's in the documentary. All visual is there were coloring agents, dyes, flavor enhancers, three preservatives, and this and that. The only thing that wasn't in these foods was food. Mm. You know, you throw a, a, a burger patty bright red into a bowl. You go there five days later, you pick it up, and it's still bright red looking. Man, that wasn't food. And lastly, and I think you're going to love this, what is the tie between the soap industry and the pet food industry? All right, Dan, let me say how sharp you were. Uh, please ask the question again. Sorry, I was doing math. <laughs> what is the tie while. between the soap industry and the pet food industry? Hmm. Mm. Hold, please. I don't like dead air, so I have to talk and think yeah. at the same time. Well, let me tell what you. It's dangerous. The... No, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. You asked me to answer. I'm going to answer. <laughs> Hold on. What is the tie between the pet food industry and the soap industry? There is no... How about there is no regulatory um, sanitation 
No, isn't, right, it what is it? Si- isn't it the same company for most pet foods? No. Oh, you mean Procter and Gamble? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did we make soap in the fifties and earlier? Animal fats. Yes. You know, I really should have watched Fight Club, man. This is where <laughs> see. This is where I failed. We don't talk about Fight Club. What okay, happened in the late fifties in the soap industry in the sixties? We made synthetics, phosphates. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was so much cost effective. It was cleaner. So we had these zillion tons of animal fat. Where did it get dumped? In the, in the East River. What happens <laughs> to animal fat that's not refrigerated? It goes rancid rapidly. What okay. did we have to create? The preservative. So Toco, toco how do you say that word? Toco... Tocopherol? That's the one. No. <laughs> butylated hydroxytoluene. Oh. BHT. BHA and the biggie. And I used to lecture in the 80s on this. Our wonderful dear company, Monsanto, mm. created a rubber stabilizer, a stabilized rubber and tie. It's called ethoxyquin. It got dumped big time in the pet food industry. And I used to lecture... And I used to put up Kodak slides of clinical studies showing how ethoxyquin called li- caused liquefaction of dogs' livers. It was turning liver cells into liquid, and they were dying of liver failure. Now it's finally illegal to put ethoxyquin in the food, but unfortunately, ethoxyquin makes it into pet food, doesn't get listed on the label because like fish or chicken has a toxiquin in it when it's sold to the pet food manufacturer. So they're not adding it in. So they don't have to list it. Hmm. So that's the tie between the pet food industry and the cereal industry is it made us create intense carcinogenic preservatives. Hmm. I mean, this is all great. <laughs> it's all great. And, and ironically, Bishop, I use Tufts calculator. To tell me how much I would have to spend and I mean, it's doable for people like Oprah Winfrey, Winfrey and what's her name? Uh, Snoop Dogg's. Yeah, Snoop Dogg's friend. <laughs> and I mean, I think the argument is, the argument is, and this is the same thing with, with human food. It's like the more healthy you eat, the less likely you are to spend money on going to the doctor, right? And I think right. that's the case with uh, your dog food is, you know, the better diet they have, the less likely they're going to have other issues. And so investing in the proactive way is, is important for some people. And, and I think it's great stuff. I, I, I uh, look forward to that free, free bag that we're going to get. Yeah. No? Okay. Just, just, just <laughs> to see, to see how my dog likes it. I'm sure he would love it. Oh, it has all the... That's the number one thing that we've heard hundreds of thousands of times is how much dogs love this stuff. Yeah. I'm sure it's great. Yeah. I'm sure it's I... great. I do have a question though. If if somebody is not able to necessarily afford to feed this to their dog, but maybe they could do the treats. Is there hmm. do you think there's enough benefit to the doing the treats or doing any of the other additives, even if they have oh, to continue? I, I, and you know, the more of a good thing you do, the better it is. I mean a lot of people, especially with larger dogs, are using the food as a topper. Without a dog, you know, Redford, our greyhound, we're still cooking up from Costco, like I said. 
and we're sprinkling a lot of of our food as as a topic because you know he's a 75 80 pound greyhound mm. okay they have some really good treats on here actually so mm-hmm. check that out please go to dr marty pets dot com dr marty pets.com you can get the food there you can get the books there uh, you can check him out on youtube if you want to see more about the stuff that he does dr marty thanks so much for a being flexible with your time because i know we we moved you uh, we're about to get a hurricane tomorrow so there may or may not be power oh anyway <laughs> it's a black hole. it is a black hole but it also it's it's the fibonacci sequence it's all related Ooh, um yeah fibonacci we love it yeah doctor you're always welcome back Friend of the show. Uh, I don't know if there was there anything else you wanted to make sure our listeners knew. Well, the, about, I mean, the, the good yeah. thing is, you know, I, I like I said, we how rewarding my life is because we hit society. But my goal was always the profession because that's where it starts. And I have very successfully infiltrated my alma mater, Cornell. I okay. gave the head of clinical sciences a ninety-minute presentation two months ago on terminally ill animals given weeks to live, fully documented for an hour and a half. And then I showed them <clears throat> alive four to nine and a half years later with okay. squamous cell carcinoma of the throat and this and that. And I, I said two things to him at the end of this when he was blown away is, number one, you can't do this. And this is beneficial to our profession. He said, I got it. I'm infiltrating you into the thing. And then just with what you just said there is that the next thing I said is if we took these animals riddled with cancer, given weeks to live and put them on whole foods and nutritional supplements, and they, here they are five years later, imagine if you started in their life with this so they didn't have to get cancer and go through cancer. First of all, how much money you would have saved. But if it's able to turn an animal's health state around from cancer to health, imagine if this is how you raise them. <laughs> There's your answer. Yeah. My answer now is called wellness and health. The, you know, we've been looking for the, the cure for cancer on this planet to the tune of three to four trillion dollars a year on the planet. It's always been here. It's called health. God, if it wasn't for his tumor, he was in great shape. Whoa. That's it. Health. <laughs> wellness Fibonacci well, the Fibonacci well I got yeah yeah the Fibonacci we talk about that on other episodes yeah, I can imagine uh, Bishop any final thoughts no I think this was awesome and I hope that you know yeah and I don't want it to be lost in this in this conversation <clears throat> I think we really support the work that you're doing and know that uh, I, I, I think my goal in the show, in the aspect of like, how do we make it affordable for all? That's that's something that we need to continue to as a profession. Not it's not not you. It's it's not specific to to one person. It's to help families and people that uh, are in need because they're going to continue to feed Alpo Prime Cuts. They're yeah. going to continue to feed Old Roy, and it's really educating those people. So partially, it's like, hey, are y'all listening too? Because if you're listening, Doctor Marty's telling you. Uh, feed better food, right? And and you're going to have less issues. And I'm sure, Bishop, you've seen enough. Mm-hmm. I've seen enough of animals that suffer because of that. So we really appreciate you taking the time to to really share that insight on how this has outstanding results. So uh, you're always welcome back. Sorry, we don't give gifts like Oprah. I would, <laughs> I would give a hug though, like Oprah. So it's about as much as I can do. 
anytime. I'm always available. Thank you, sir. It was great. Uh, great talking to you as always. Remember to check out our website, keepityoumane.com. Like, share, rate the podcast. And thanks for listening. Bishop, take it away. Let's keep it. Humane. 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 Humane.